Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Full Court with Fisher and Kay. What used to be Full Court Press now has a new name, a new co-host. We'll get into this in a little bit, but first, college basketball continues to be affected by COVID-19. Uh, it continues to ravage programs to the point where games are being canceled, postponed, the continuation of no fans. Uh, we look at the likes of Duke in women's college basketball. What stuck out to me this morning was the head coach of Louisville, Jeff Walls, tweeting at the time of recording what was eight hours ago that their game, their home opener, has been canceled. Um, excuse me, not home, their season opener on Wednesday, November 25th, and that their team is willing to travel. And then six hours after that, they rescheduled with SEMO, 2 p.m. Central on Wednesday, the 25th. We'll get into more of the effects on COVID later, but I would love to introduce my new co-host. She might be new to the show. She's not new to me. Uh, this is Kara Kay. She is at Michigan State and we met about a year, over a year ago at this point, at the Champions Classic. And to be honest, we were fast friends and we've been very close ever since. And we figured, I mean, hey, she's someone that I talk about college basketball with all the time. Uh, we do our FaceTimes that last about two hours. We talk almost every single day. She is far and away one of my best friends that I've had in this business. And I'm just really glad that, I mean, I think it's everyone's dream to have a podcast with one of your best friends, right? And so I am ecstatic to welcome Kara Kay to the show. Kara, how about you give the people a little bit of an intro of who you are? Thank you, Jenny. I'm very excited to finally join you. I know this was something we kind of joked about at one point, like it'd be fun to just, you know, take our thoughts and <laughs> share them and now it's turned into reality, so that's pretty cool. Um, it's worked out with good timing and the fact that we talk about college basketball all the time anyway, so very excited. Um, like you said, I'm at Michigan State doing some social and digital stuff there. Um, I've always been a college basketball fan, college football. I just love the tradition that goes along with um, college sports, and I think um, it's a ton of fun year to year, even though, you know, players change and coaches change. Um, the programs kind of in some ways stay the same. So I'm very excited to talk about the men's game, the women's game, and kind of whatever else in between with this. And Kara, how did you become a college basketball fan? So um, my dad played at Michigan State um, back in the late 70s, early 80s. So he actually was on the team with Magic Johnson and won national championship. Um, so like growing up, I've just always been dialed into college basketball, like watching with him, paying attention, you know, when you're younger, it's kind of just the final four March madness. But then, you know, like we would watch big 10 games. We would watch every other conference game. It was just um, a bonding experience for us and my whole family really. So that's um, just what started my love of college basketball and then continued it till now. It's a similarity that Kara and I didn't even know that we had um, because my dad also played college basketball over at Marquette. 
he did not win a national championship. I don't even think he played in more than two games. Um, I can't trash talk him too much because I am at his house right now. Um, the the lucky thing about I I traveled for the past week for the NBA G League and I got tested three times a day every single day and so that was kind of a hidden gift where I'm able to travel for Thanksgiving because of that experience affording me the the opportunity to get tested and to see him for for this holiday but. Kara, I think we should get into a little bit of the draft. Obviously, the NBA draft was last week. It's a week apart from the start of college basketball season. And just a high-level view from a college basketball lens, I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me were no blue bloods were drafted lottery. Um, the top three picks, obviously an interesting storyline. And we can go down the line of, of big snubs as well. But I would like to know what stood out to you. I thought it was very cool how the virtual setup kind of lended itself to really getting the emotions from the players. Obviously it's a big moment for them. Um, Most of them, you know, that's like their main goal is to get drafted or get a chance to play in the league. And there's like, just, it was very cool to kind of see um, that emotion from them and from their family. And um, I thought that they did a really great job of having some stories that went, you know, after the person was drafted that kind of, gave you a little more intel into them um especially you know people if people didn't know um the player and weren't as familiar with them I thought that was a cool way for them to get to connect especially if it's your team that drafted them so even though it was a bit of a different experience um I thought that was pretty cool and it's just cool to watch their dreams kind of coming true like right in front of your eyes it's interesting to me the effects of no march madness and what it could have had on the draft uh we kind of talked about previously the casual fan may not be as interested because they didn't get to see whatever players show out in March Madness. Right. Um, and again, I think it, it just kind of blindsided some guys uh, to not being picked because that's a really big part of their resume is how they compete in the postseason. And so without that had to go based upon what we had. And I agree. I just thought it was a really, a really cool draft. Obi Toppin is my favorite storyline. I mean, getting drafted to the Knicks, uh, Yes. You, you just can't ask for anything better. And I, I mean, some people don't like grown men crying on television, but whatever. This is like Tyrese Max, they shed some tears too. And like, you couldn't really understand him. But I was like, this is the biggest moment in their lives um, up until now, at least. And so and we've had like so much time to just think about it, right? Like, like you said, like without a tournament and without a lot of the postseason play period, like they've had since really the first or second week of March to sit there and kind of contemplate what this day would look like and go through all the prep and have, you know, all that goes into it for the last couple of months when they thought this would maybe be happening in June at one point. So I think like all that did kind of build up to that moment for a lot of them. And it was, it was awesome to see. Let's get to the top three picks in terms of college basketball. Again, you get Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Then you get James Wiseman who only played in a handful of college basketball games and then LaMelo Ball who's just an interesting situation in a lot of different ways. Um, what are your thoughts on that and how maybe college basketball isn't always, you know, the, the biggest factor in how high a guy is going to go or whatever it may be? Yeah, I think it was for sure interesting because a lot of people, like a lot of times there's a for sure number one pick, like last year Zion, like everyone – you know, pretty much thought that he was going number one. And this year there was a lot of like talk leading up to the draft um, 
you know, like there's kind of like those three did look to be the top three picks, but like not sure how that was going to happen or what teams were going to go with who. So I thought it was just interesting, like, again, without a postseason and with there being so much time between the end of college basketball and the draft, um, teams probably had a lot of time to talk to different teams about or talk to different people about these picks, um, really look at any film they had from last year. But like you said, like, we didn't have obviously a full season and then with James Wiseman um, definitely didn't have a full season either. So I thought it was just kind of, it was cool to see in the moment, like how that happened and how it played out. And by the end of it, I think everyone was kind of like, yeah, that did make sense. You know, the, the pick order. My biggest bragging rights for the draft are that I got to be with who I think one of the guys is going to be the number one pick next year. And, and I'll add this in so that you guys can know what I've been up to since I already teased it. Um, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, Isaiah Todd, all these guys um, were who I was kind of covering and got to interview and talk to this past week out in Walnut Creek for their closed door scrimmages for the G League Ignite. And this is my claim to fame. And I'm, I'm going to say it because I think it's hilarious, not as a bragging point. Um, basically, their head coach, Brian Shaw, used to play for the Lakers, among other people. He played with Shaq and Kobe. He looks at me. We're on like day three. Um, he looks at me. We barely know each other. And he's like, Jay Fish, you're hopping in this drill. And I'm like, like what? Uh -oh. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Because, Kara, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I was like, excuse me. Um, and so I, I hopped in this drill. It was a three-point competition. We lined up around the arc. We alternated between players and personnel. And basically, if it got down to Jalen Green and I. Uh, we were the last two people standing. I went two for two on my first two three-pointers. There you go. <laughs> they were chirping at me. They were saying like, you have to use the NBA lines. And I'm like, but it's a men's ball. Can't I at least use it? And just going back and forth. And basically, Jalen Green barely beat me. Uh, again, I don't know if Keyword that's- Keyword barely. <laughs> I know, barely. I mean, it was down to him and I after like, there's probably 20 people between the staff and players. And I was like, this is just hilarious. And I, I truly believe either Jalen Green or Jonathan Kaminga. Jonathan looks the most NBA ready to me. Um, two guys who, again, Jalen said he would have gone to Memphis. Um, Jonathan, I think Texas Tech was one of his top picks. Um, Dacian Nick was going to go to UCLA. Isaiah Todd was committed to Michigan. Like, these are guys that bypass college basketball. And I truly believe that they're, they're still going to go high in the 2021 draft. But that's when I can bring out my bragging rights about them. So... You got to have some. <laughs> exactly. Um, the last thing that I did want to touch on before we get into our interview with Andy Katz, uh, the season starts on Wednesday. John Rothstein has continued to update his list of new teams and programs paused by COVID um, as the season starts to ramp up. We've, we've gotten different updates and such from teams, but Kara, how are programs going to make it through this college basketball season? I think a lot of teams are going to have to be flexible, like you kind of talked about on the last podcast. Um, like you said, we're only 48 hours out from the beginning of the season really starting, so you're going to have to learn to kind of roll with the punches, um, rely on leadership, um, and experience I think will be big. And hopefully there'll be, you know, there's continued across sports to be advances in testing and advances in um, – you know, really being able to not be on pause for a long time, but there's obviously still issues with that. So 
as that hopefully continues to get better, hopefully that will lend itself to making the season go smoother. It's also interesting. There's no true process or system for having to report or make public that these things are happening. As the season is starting, you really have to. I know of one team uh, that decided not to tell the public that they have been affected by COVID because it was within the two-week window before the season would have started. And now you have conferences like the Big East where over half of their men's basketball programs have been affected by COVID and effectively put on pause. And so it will be a clunky season. I think clunky is a light way of putting it because we've already seen that we've been barely chugging along up until this point. Um, But nonetheless, it will be exciting. We will have college basketball in some way, shape or form. There might be teams on that list who have been affected or that have had it. But again, at the end of the day, there's still a majority that are able to play that are not on pause, and we'll get to watch them. Also watching them is Andy Katz, who is with March Madness, Turner, Fox Sports, Big Ten, a college basketball analyst, reporter, a man who needs no introduction, to be quite honest, and aware of many hats. And Andy, we know that you just got to Mohegan Sun. What has it been like so far? So a little chaotic, uh, but that was more of a personal thing uh, because uh, you had to get a negative test 72 hours before arrival. So I did what I was supposed to do, which was on Friday. Problem is you've got all these people <laughs> trying to get tested for Thanksgiving where they probably shouldn't be because they're, you know, they're not supposed to see all their extended relatives. Combine that with a surge. So Friday was crazy. Uh, and I got a test Friday, waited, 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 and then got a phone call Monday morning as I was starting to get a little antsy that I didn't have my results yet. I was never worried that I was positive, but you never know. And uh, I finally got a call. My heart dropped a little because you're supposed to not even get a call unless you're positive. But the call was from uh, a doctor I knew uh, who also has been handling some of this Mohegan Sun testing and basically said, look, your test got sent to where uh, there were 65,000 tests and you're not going to get it in time. Uh, So I need you to come down and do another one. So very gracious. Uh, I got another test on Monday, got that result within a couple hours. So that was better. Uh, and uh, then made my way down here uh, to the Mohegan Sun, about 45 minutes from where I live in Connecticut. And I'll tell you, so far, extremely impressed with their protocols. Uh, This is not the NBA bubble, but it is called Bubbleville. But for the most part, you know, there aren't, I didn't even go in the casino, very few people here, just, you know, just judging by cars and what I could see in terms of people walking around. And once you check in, you got to go to the testing center which is just another part of the uh, complex. And I walk in, you gotta be checked by security at the beginning, make sure your name's on a list, go in. I happen to be there when Virginia and Arizona State were coming through and every team's coming through. And it's the, you know, they check you again, make sure you are who you are, birth date and all that. And then you do the self-administered test. The one I had earlier obviously was done by a, a professional with PPE and the whole thing. And then you deposit the test, uh, you, you have your room key, you go up to your room and you wait till the morning to when you hope and you expect that you will get the negative result. But I lo- another curveball that was interesting to me is when I came up to my floor, um, there was security on the floor and they checked my name again to make sure I am who I am and I'm supposed to be on this floor. 
So um, I, I was really impressed with the different levels of making sure that other, for lack of a better term, random people aren't in this space of where we are supposed to be. And once we're negative, we're good to go. Uh, you get tested, I was told, um, every, I think it's 48 or 72 hours. So I, I plan on just staying here during this week. And they told me I'll get another test on Wednesday. Um, and so, uh, you know, assuming everything's negative, I'm good to go. And the interesting thing, I'll say this, I'm fortunate that I'm going to be sort of in this um, inner circle, tier one. Uh, and I also learned that tonight, that once you're in that circle, you have to stay in that circle. So I'll be down low for the games Wednesday, Thursday, Friday that I plan on being here for. Uh, but that means I can't go other parts of the arena, which is fine with me. But I have to stay down low so that that group of people doesn't mix with, you know, the other tiers of people. Right. Um, you seem to be obviously, like you said, impressed with the protocols in place and like your experience so far, even with a little chaos. Um, why do you think it is important that we basketball is starting now? Um, you know, we haven't we've had some games canceled or postponed, but there hasn't been a pushback of the season to this point. So, Kara, I'll just tell you that I actually was a proponent of starting it on time. I thought the more time we had, the better. And that was obviously before we had a surge. Uh, as you know, they were supposed to start on the 10th, moved it to the 25th. Um, the reality is, and, and both of you know this, I mean, Jenny used to work at the NCA. Uh, now you're part of the, the G League coverage. And, you know, and Kara, you know, in Michigan State, that it takes, long, it takes a long time to plan things. And you can't just flip a switch and say, okay, we're going to have this massive event, uh, you know, a month from now. Uh, so I actually think we stretch it out as long as we can, get as many games in as you can. We know there's going to be cancellations. There already have been. And, you know, hopefully enough teams can get at least the minimum of 13. I think once we get into the conference play in a little bit of a, a rhythm, you know, if there's, for example, let's just take whatever league, a lot of these leagues are doing their, their sort of the, at one site weekends. And if you had hypothetically, let's say in the America East, you know, Vermont's supposed to play uh, uh, UNH and Vermont can't play this particular weekend and Maine's supposed to play uh, Lowell. Uh, well, Maine can't play. So you know what? Lowell and UNH will play and then we'll switch it. And you'd have that flexibility within the conference schedule. And I think we may see that because uh, we're already seeing that, by the way, in the Pac-12 in football and, you know, the Big Ten, uh, they haven't done that as much yet, or they haven't done it yet because they, it's such a smaller window. Uh, but I, I could see other leagues at the higher level doing this. And the last thing is that, you know, the Final Four is penciled in for, for uh, Indiana, Indiana and Indianapolis. And you can't just move it deeper into the year for a number of reasons. One, uh, television. Big reason. You know, the Masters is still scheduled to be that second weekend in April, and that's CBS's property. If you go into May, deeper, two issues. One, TNT and Turner have the NBA. Now you have to deal with their window schedule. Two, it's in Indy. Indy 500 always takes up at least two weekends in the city of Indianapolis. So now where are you going to put all these teams? You're going to lose hotel space. And the last thing um, that I think is critical. Uh, is that people, you know, want March Madness in March. And we've seen with these restarts, we'll wait and see if college football and the NFL end when they're supposed to. But the ratings haven't been great because people aren't, you know, it's not when they're supposed to see these events. 
And as good as the bubble was the NBA, that's not when the NBA finals are. And it just takes a while to get to that. People want March Madness in March. And, and that's when I believe it should be in early April. And, and I'm sorry, the one last thing about this all is that it, 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 it had to be in one place. They got there maybe a little later than they wanted to. But in these current times, there's no way that they could have had this in 13 different states, um, dealing with 13 different governors and 13 different health protocols. You had to deal with one, and that way you can just negotiate with one. Uh, and, and one other point, I just thought of this as well. There's been some chatter about, well, should we wait for the vaccine? Well, first of all, great news on the vaccine, but I'm not a doctor, you aren't doctors, and neither are college basketball coaches. And you know, we don't know for sure when the healthy of us and all of us are healthy, you know, thankfully, are, are gonna get it. We're not gonna be the first priority. It's also, from what I've read, and everyone has read, it's a two-shot vaccine separated by at least three weeks. So we can't wait for that and, and hope that that's gonna be, you know, March, April. You know, maybe it will, but we, we, we don't know. Maybe it's gonna be not till April, May, June that those of us in this population get it. So you have to forge ahead and just hope for the best and have a plan, which they do. Andy, you mentioned Indianapolis, and I know that we, we've mentioned the logistical chaos and craziness that it could all entail, and obviously you sit in a unique position where you get to talk to Dr. Brian Hainline and, and learn from him and share it with the rest of not only college athletics, but the world. But is there any possibility that this single region, this Indianapolis Final Four, could truly be a bubble? Well, it can't truly be a bubble, um, unfortunately, because you can't bubble off a city. Uh, what I do think they will do is a larger version of what I'm seeing now, which is very controlled. And uh, I think what we're going to see is you're going to go to your hotel, maybe literally your floor, okay, and very controlled within the hotel, arena, and possibly practice if it is a different place. There is talk of maybe having the convention center as a practice facility. But no one's going to St. Elmo's and other restaurants if you are team, coach, personnel, officials, intermedia, like the broadcast media. Um, it's going to be very controlled because it has to be. Uh, and I think that's the way it will work. Uh, I also will tell you that um, when Selection Sunday happens, the first game, I think at the earliest, is probably Friday, Saturday. Thursday's probably pushing it because everyone's going to have to get there. Everyone's going to have to test. Everyone's going to have to probably at least be, I don't know if it's 24 hours, but probably at least like we did in the Mohegan Sun, get there sometime in the afternoon, and then you wait till the following morning to be cleared. I think you're going to probably see something comparable to that. So that's a Monday, Tuesday, or maybe a Tuesday, Wednesday, depending upon how early you can get in. And that's a lot of people to – funnel through. Now, the, the controlled environment, I got to try to get used to not saying bubble, the controlled environment will shrink as teams leave, certainly after the first couple of days. The other thing that will be unique is once we get going, I think we're going. And you could take some days off before the final four, but you don't have to take days off between those first four games. Because once you start, let's say hypothetically, it's, you could go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, you know, boom, 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 boom. And people are playing every other day and you could do it. And I, I think, you know, TV will love it. I think the atmosphere will love it. And to have that repetition, that rhythm, 
I think will work better in a controlled environment. The longer gaps you would have is probably a recipe. And Karen knows this because she's around a team all the time. Not, not that Michigan State does anything wrong, but you know, the longer downtime is the more time you'd have for people potentially, unfortunately, you know, breaking the bubble or the, the controlled environment. Don't want to get DoorDash or whatever. Um, you know, I think if you have a repetition like that, you're more apt to keep it controlled. Um, now that you're actually at Mohegan Sun, you get to cover basketball, college basketball, at least for the first time in a couple of months. Um, we know there's been quite a few changes today, even with it. So what are you most excited for with some of the new matchups and with the teams that will be there? So, you know, I care. I told you and Jenny this, like, I'm just happy to just have games. I mean, you know, I think we're all, first of all, obviously people have suffered tremendously, lost lives. I mean, a quarter of a million people. It's horrific. It's the worst thing in any of our lives. Um, so that's number one. People have lost financially, their businesses, all those kinds of things. I mean, the fact that we're just going to have games, I'm thrilled. You know, I mean, psychologically, I think it does wonders for all of us that have a stake in college athletics to be able to just get back to something. Um, you know, I don't know how many in-person games I'm going to get to. This one obviously is very controlled. I know I'm doing some games uh, in December for uh, Fox. You know, I hope I'm going to be able to be in person for Big Ten. I don't know. Uh, we're all waiting to find all those answers out. It might be more in person in January or February, I hope. Um, but I don't know. So I'm going to just relish these games that I get to actually be in person for. And uh, because, you know, that night, uh, I get my date right. I think it was either March 11th or 12th. Um, you know, that was, that was by far the most surreal evening of my professional life. Um, the night that I was covering the Big Ten tournament, I was live on the air as Fred Hoiberg is looking ill. And, uh, you know, we all thought he had COVID and we thought we were going to be quarantining in Indianapolis. And then the next day when I was live right before for BTN, for Michigan Rutgers, and I'm talking to the players and the staff, no one's in the arena. And literally 15 minutes before tip, they call everyone off the court. It's over. I'm interviewing Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner. This is his first, like, a couple of weeks on the job, and he's got this unbelievable, you know, thing thrown at him. And then just when it was all just over, walking outside uh, in Indianapolis when it was just over, and the whole city just was dead like that. It just was really bizarre. And then you almost felt like as I was leaving, I got a flight out that night. And when I landed, you know, the whole world shut down like a day later. Um, and it, you just felt like you were fleeing, you know, this, I mean, I don't want to just draw akin to like, you know, getting out of Vietnam or something like that, you know, these last flights out, but it just felt, um, it just had a feeling of, we got to get out of here and get home because, you know, everything's collapsing. It was just, I don't know. I've never felt like that before. It was unbelievable. And I will say this, that the other, if I could just share this other little anecdote with you, if you don't mind, the night with the Fred Hoiberg, and I love Fred, but he knows, and he has apologized since then, he shouldn't have been at that game. And I will never forget, right before tip-off, I'm interviewing Fred Hoiberg and Archie Miller in our little uh, side room. And Fred Hoiberg comes in and, you know, I'm just the usual pleasantries we all do. And, and uh, you guys know my rapport with a lot of these guys. And I just, Fred, how you feeling? And he looked green. I mean, 
whew. And he goes, oh, I don't feel well. So, you know, we, and me, me and the, we all just kind of literally like just kind of moved back. And he goes, yeah, I think I have a fever, my chest. And I mean, literally, we're just learning about COVID at that time, if you remember. And, but these were like some of the alarm bells. And I remember like, I, I immediately kind of just, usually I, you know, all of us do interviews and we're just kind of right there. And I remember I, I just kind of like, like suddenly extended and I didn't touch him. And then Archie came in after Archie Miller. And I was like, Hey, have you seen Freddie? He's like, yeah. I said, Hey, I'm just telling you, when you go out with a handshake, I said, don't shake his hand. I, said, I don't know what's up. And then sure enough, game goes on and you know, they tell him uh, with four minutes left and we show him on, you know, on the, on the screen that he's like a hand like this. They tell him to leave the court. And our producer in the back area, um, I will share this with you because I think that it was good. This was a good editing by our staff at PTN because in the back area, they took him away in an ambulance, which was reported, that was known. But, you know, he had a mask. But at the time, it was jarring for us to see ambulance people like fully in, you know, PPE. And they were all, you know, masks, you know, they were like, we're not messing around here because they didn't know. And so they take them away. We didn't show that because we didn't want to alarm people. Think about it, we had a full arena. And if, if he had been positive, you know, that could really have been a super spreader event and contact tracing out of that would have been ridiculous. So, but we didn't know. And we were told not to leave the arena. And Nebraska was kept in its locker room. There was security, cops. They brought their food outside the door and suddenly it became this thing where they got escorted out. We couldn't leave our area until they left. And then we were told that, hey, we gotta wait and find out if he's positive because if he is, we're gonna have to probably quarantine in Indianapolis for 14 days. So I was up till like two in the morning thinking there's no way we're gonna have games tomorrow and I don't know what the hell's gonna happen. And sure enough, we get a text at like 1.30 that he had tested positive for the flu. Um, we later learned that he didn't get a COVID test that night. You know, I don't think they were ready, readily available then. He got one when he got back to Lincoln, which ultimately was negative as well. But so we still didn't have a lot of information. And it was really, I mean, it was as surreal in my time in my career that I can ever remember. Well, and I'm sure there's still remnants of, of all of that even still heading into this season. I mean, I know for myself back in March when all of this was happening, there was no chance that we thought that we would still be in a similar position now where we still have testing. And like you said, the security and the tiers and all the different levels. But at the same time, I think the fact that we have college basketball, as I think we all hoped, um, is, is the exciting part about it. And the preseason rankings are out. Let's get back into the hoops. I mean, Andy, the one question I do have for you, you know, you already went through your Elite Eight, your Final Four of Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, Iowa. If there's a team in your power rankings that you suspect might overperform this season, like maybe right now they're not at that point, but down the road, who do you think that team would be? So, um, I mean, these are name schools, but um, I'll be very interested to see how West Virginia and Texas Tech whether early. West Virginia um, has, its whole, has a core of its team back, Oscar Sheeway, Derek Culver, and uh, Deuce McBride. And then Texas Tech, 
Chris Beard's done a phenomenal job of sort of reinventing himself over the last couple of years. Marco Santos Silva from VCU and Mac McClung from Georgetown. So those guys could have a major impact and change the direction of Texas Tech. Um, I'm a big ASU guy right now. I think that they have a real shot. They've always sort of, you know, never been that team out of the Pac-12, um, but they could be this year. And if we want to go outside of the major conferences, um, I would say Richmond. They're not going to be this year's Dayton because they're not, I don't think, as good as Dayton. They don't have an OB Toppin. But they could be really good and get a pretty good seed and make a great run. Um, I'll tell you, as much as, as high as I am on Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, Rutgers, Michigan State, sort of my core five in the Big Ten, my sleeper team in the Big Ten is Indiana. I think Indiana is going to overperform um, and be much better than people think. Trace Jackson Davis, I think, is going to be all Big Ten. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, they're, they've got experience in the backcourt, frontcourt, um, all of it. I, I, I think they're all in line to make a really good run uh, throughout the course of the uh, conference season. You just kind of touched on um, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, who are, you know, slated at the top of the Big Ten. Um, what other conference race are you kind of looking at or one that you might think will be interesting that no one is talking about at the moment? You kind of talked about some Big 12 teams, but what maybe would be another conference? Well, I think the ACC is going to be very interesting because, and, and always is, but everyone expects it to be Virginia and Duke. Um, North Carolina had a, basically a year, um, a total uh, anomaly, you know, for them because they don't finish at the bottom. They had injuries, obviously, to Cole Anthony. They got another potential one-and-done point guard in Caleb Love. Garrison Brooks was preseason ACC player of the year. Uh, they've got a really good freshman class overall. So I think Carolina is going to jump back up. And Leonard Hamilton, the ageless one, never discount Florida State. They won it last season uh, before we uh, all had to shut down. So I think the race of those four, as much as we're pushing Virginia first, Duke with all their young talent, uh, really those four could finish in any order. Andy, we've got an exciting couple of days ahead, obviously the holiday, so happy early Thanksgiving as well. My very last question for you, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? So um, it's interesting. In my career, um, uh, I would say I've been home or even just with the family very few times because, as Kara knows, usually I'm covering a tournament. And I've been very blessed that I've been all over North America and, you know, uh, for, throughout the course of my career at Thanksgiving, from the Great Alaska Shootout uh, to being in the Bahamas, to Orlando, to California. Um, so I've been all over the place at Thanksgiving. Now I'll beat the Mohegan Sun. Um, I'd say the two things that I could eat, I'm not a huge turkey, like I like turkey, but mm -hmm. I don't like to just fill up on the turkey. To me, the two things that are staples that I actually could eat at any time of the year. I love stuffing and um, uh, like the, the, I hope I'm getting this right. The, the whipped sweet potato with melted marshmallow. Yes. Ooh. That was something I grew up with. And actually my dad made it. Uh, my mom was more of the bird and my dad made the side. And she, my mom would make the bird and the, tur the stuffing. But my dad's thing was that sweet potato, you know, whipped sweet potato with the marshmallows melted. 
And that, you know, that would be my favorite. I will say this, you know, it was me, my brother, my dad, my mom growing up, and we were always too fast eating. Literally, I think our record was seven minutes where we ate. My mom barely sat down before the three men, uh, you know, were inhaling everything. I think that's hilarious. And I hope you get a decent meal of some sort while you're covering at Mohegan Sun. It might just be a box lunch with a turkey sandwich, but whatever. Hey, that's what it is this year. <laughs> exactly. You're covering college basketball. We can't wait to see all the reporting that comes out of it and the rest of this season. Andy, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. A big thank you to Andy Katz for joining us. I know that I am looking forward to seeing this first week of college basketball and honestly how everything goes down. But what I am looking for in women's college basketball, I know this will extend beyond the first week, but Tara Vanderveer, Stanford head coach, she is four wins away from tying Pat Summit's wins record to be the winningest coach in women's college basketball history. Um, five, and she breaks that record. It's just absolutely crazy to me. Uh, I actually got to interview Tara Vanderveer out at Stanford last October. And I remember we were thinking that it would have happened during the 2020, 2019-2020 um, season. And obviously it didn't because of it being cut short. They actually ended their season on a loss as well in the Pac-12 tournament to Oregon. And she could have hit it in the NCAA tournament, which they were bound to make. And so at this point, it has been a long time coming. But when I originally asked her the question, I said, what do you think Pat Summit would say? And she said that she thinks Pat would be excited, um, that she was just such a, an incredible woman. I mean, Pat Summit is literally the biggest name in women's college basketball that I think anyone could name. Um, also got to go to Tennessee and, and do a bunch of stuff with them, which was really cool to learn even more about her legacy. But I am looking forward to seeing Tara Vanderveer hit that mark. And the one other thing I wanted to hit on, Kara, before we get to what you're looking forward to, it's a story that I think is flying under the radar. Creighton men's basketball against St. John's back in March was one of, if not the last, men's college basketball game to occur. And it did not even finish. It went until halftime. And then Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East, came and stepped out onto the court. They called it. Um, and that was it. And so one of those players for the Blue Jays, is Mitch Ballock. He comes into the game a couple points shy, four to be exact, of reaching his 1,000th career point. Wow. <laughs> so you can, you can know where this is going. He ends up scoring his 1,000th career point. I know this because I was sitting there in Madison Square Garden, which was half empty, watching this game, trying to burn it into my memory, like sear it into my brain that this might be the last bit of college basketball I see live in person for the longest time. And this kid hits his 1,000th point and the game gets scratched and it doesn't count. Luckily, he's a junior. This is where the happy part comes in and he will be able to hopefully hit that mark in their first game on November 25th believe they play South Dakota State and so I will be watching for that and cheering on Mitch Ballock in that moment. Kara is there anything that you're looking forward to? Well those are two awesome stories um hopefully you know we do get to those both of those milestones um early on in the season and he kind of gets to 
relive that moment again. Um, I think it's pretty cool. We do have a couple teams, a couple programs, excuse me, that have their men's and women's team both ranked in the AP preseason poll. Um, we have Baylor, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, and UCLA. And obviously some really big time programs. Um, and I just think that is just awesome for, you know, the schools um, who have that basketball success and for fans following along to kind of have um, a ton of awesome, hopefully awesome games and awesome teams to cheer on. Um, and also looking ahead a little bit to next week when normally the Champions Classic will be starting off the season, but this year it'll be in the second week of the season um, with Michigan State at Duke at Cameron Indoor, and then Kentucky and Kansas will be in Indianapolis. So there's a couple awesome games this week like we touched on, um, but then, you know, even next week having that event, which is always kind of a really fun way to kick off the men's college basketball season, I think will be awesome. We have a lot to be thankful for this year as well. I want to make sure that we wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. Um, hopefully can spend it in a safe way with loved ones, maybe without, but in whatever way that we can make it possible. I just think the fact that we still have a lot to be thankful for, even amidst this global pandemic, um, college basketball being one of them, of course. But Kara, what are you thankful for this year? Um, I'm thankful to have... Uh, my family and a lot of very supportive and close friends, Jenny, you included. Um, I know, you know, the last couple of months have been definitely weird and there's been a lot of FaceTimes, a lot of calls, like we talked about, like we'll just call to talk about, you know, really anything and that turns into two hours. And I think um, it's really made me appreciate the time you do get to have in person with your loved ones. And then also like really thankful for the technology that allows us to talk to them, um, to even get to see their face. And, you know, it's just a little more personal than texting or just calling on the phone. Um, so I think that is my biggest thing. Um, Jenny, what about you? I think it just goes right back to being thankful that I was in a position at work where it enabled me to be able to, well, first I quarantined back in New York. I tested before I left to go out to California for G League. Um, I was testing every single day and then I was able to fly to Seattle to see my dad, who is one of my favorite people in the entire world. Love him to death, hoping he doesn't want, this is what I was afraid was going to happen. It hasn't happened, but he is actually still working. So when he comes home from work, I was expecting him to like full fledged run in on us recording the podcast. I wish he did. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. Maybe a dad's podcast is, is down the road, but I'm definitely thankful for my family. Um, I have another little nephew, my second little nephew on the way. So I'm just, I'm excited. Again, family, family sits at the top of the list for me as well. Kara, one last question for you. Favorite Thanksgiving food? Ooh, um, I'm a big sweets person. So I do like, you know, the apple pie, pumpkin pie. And you like um, to just, speak. Yes, I just actually made some cinnamon rolls, which like, I wouldn't say the traditional Thanksgiving food, but it's more of like a holiday type dish. Those are probably my favorites. Um, what about you? Are you going to agree with me? <laughs> I mean, I do love sweets, but when it comes to Thanksgiving food, like you can catch me on Thursday watching college basketball and eating stuffing and like, Ooh. I'm going to pour the gravy over it and it's going to get all like soggy and it's yep. going to taste like heaven. 
And you'll have leftovers. That's probably one of the bigger parts of Thanksgiving. (laughs) And on Friday, then I'll just be eating more food and watching more college basketball. And so it it all just kind of comes full circle. (laughs) The first episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay is in the books. Thank you to Andy Katz for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Tom Phillip edits the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. And please check out our other Pure Hoops Media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and we will be back every Tuesday with Full Court. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. See you next week on Full Court with Fisher and Kay. Full Court is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.